Take your Bibles, go to the book of John chapter 10. This is going to be one of those messages where uh, you're probably going to walk out and go, man, I don't know if I like that or not. Um, I'm going to be real transparent with you as we begin today. And uh, I'm taken with a comment that my dad made one time. He said, the only reason I'm still alive is that most people don't know what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm going to let you know what I'm thinking this morning, and it might shock you just a little bit on some fronts, but it was uh, the fall of 1991, and I had recently completed work at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was working full-time in a church, and I'd been doing that for a number of years, and I kind of reached a point in my Christian life and in my role as a minister on staff at a church that I think I had just kind of seen enough. And I was disillusioned with church as I was involved and investing my life. It just was lacking. And uh, that caused me some problems. First of all, it caused me an ethical problem. If I don't really like what's going on there and I'm taking a paycheck, that seems wrong. And uh, so, you know, I want you to understand, though, I wasn't disillusioned with God, I was disillusioned with the church. And it was a kind of an ongoing problem for me to the point that it became a matter of prayer and a matter of real soul searching. I talked to a few friends about it and and I remember in the fall of 1991 coming to this conclusion and it was a prayer that I said before God. I remember the setting, I remember everything about it because it became a turning point for me. My prayer was this, God, if this, and I'm talking about church as I knew it, if this is all there is in the Christian life, then I'm out. But if there's more, if I'm missing something, then I want to know what it is. Because if this is all there is, I'm done with this playing church thing. That became a trigger for me. And God began to do some things in my life tied to that point of being just thoroughly fed up with church as I knew it. And God took me to some key passages of Scripture, one of which is the one we're going to look at today. And they, as God began to open them up for me, took me beyond... Okay, here's a term for you. Some of you know it already. Some may not. It took me beyond churchianity into Christianity. Now, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I had bought into a level of Christian living that was really reduced to church. John chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 10 in just a moment. But before we get there, you can go ahead and read verse 10 if you want. I'll quote it for you. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I, that's Jesus speaking, have come that you may have life... To the full is what the NIV says. My translation, the English Standard Version says, life abundant. I want to talk to you about that today. And before we even get into all of that, I just want to stop for a minute and make sure that we're on the same page together. Are you satisfied with the current level of Christianity that you have endorsed? One more time. We'll make sure we're on the same page. Let me ask it to you again. I'll ask it in a little different way. If you look at your Christian life as you know it today, are you satisfied with that? 
Have you ever gotten to a point in your life, and maybe some of you wandered in here today, and you come in saying, I don't know about this organized religion thing, about this church thing. I'll give it one more shot. Are you satisfied with what you call normal Christianity? And you see, just the question itself is inadequate. Because we can get satisfied with a lot of things that are really not great. Have you seen the TV show called Hoarders? H-O-A-R-D-E-R-S. Hoarders. This is a television show that goes to people's homes and looks inside their lives, and it's people who have problems letting stuff go. I'm not talking about the mental stuff, you know, like so-and-so did this to me and I'll kill him if I get a chance. That's a different kind of letting stuff go. I'm talking about they never throw anything away. I've known some people like that. As a matter of fact, I've served in churches with people like that. Served a church one time with a lady who had that particular problem, and I'll call it that because it's very unsanitary and very disease kind of breeding situation. She wouldn't throw anything away, and she kept it in her car, and she drove her car around town. And so I was walking past the church parking lot one day, walked past her car, and it was one of those where you just kind of walk, you go. I walked around the entire car, everything she seemed to own, and every bit of trash that she ever had was packed into that car. And she was comfortable with that. She was satisfied with that approach to living. So for me to ask you, are you satisfied with the kind of Christianity that you currently are endorsing is a terrible question because we can become satisfied with things that are far below the standard that we should be accepting. So let me ask the question to you in a much more pointed way. Do you believe that the Christianity that you are currently living is what Jesus Christ had in mind? Is it God's best for you, or is it just adequate? You see, I, I had so grown used to adequate, and it lost its legs in my life, that I was no longer fulfilled in the Christian life. So I came to this passage. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus speaking, have come that you may have life abundantly. And the abundantly word jumped off of the page, slapped me between the eyes, and made me sit back and say, wait a minute, maybe the problem is not the church, maybe the problem is me. So let's look at the passage. Now as we come to this, I I want you to get this. What drives this entire passage, and I'm taking one verse out today, but I'm not going to just deal with that one verse because we need to see all that's around it. What drives the entire passage that actually starts in chapter 9, verse 1, and moves through chapter 10 is this basic truth. I've already gone over this truth with you. When I came in view of a call and I preached from Matthew chapter 9, here's the truth. People matter to God. I'm not going to ask you to amen stuff that I say, but in your head, you should have just said amen. People matter to God. You know one of the things that just torched me? uh, Does that communicate torched me? One of the things that just torched me about church was people didn't matter to the church. 
It became, at least in my experience, the ones that I was dealing with and what I'd gotten in seminary was all of church was about building this bigger, better, ongoing kind of organization. And I was so sucked into that mentality that over a period of time, I started thinking, why bigger? When all we're doing in pulling people in is trying to get bigger, something's wrong with that. So I came back to this passage. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that bigger is wrong. I'm saying something's wrong when bigger is the goal. I've said to several people this week, I, I've had, I've had 9,876 meetings in two weeks. And one of the things that I've said to people consistently is, I do not believe that God has called me to Crestwood to build a bigger church. I believe that what God has called me to Crestwood to do is to help build people. Now, if God wants to build a big church, that's his business. But building people is definitely God's business. People matter to God. Some of you are sitting in here today. I I know. There's too many of us here for this not to be true. Some of you sitting in here today, and somewhere in your mind, you've decided a long time ago, people don't matter to the church. You might be right, but people matter to God. And if we're going to be God's church, then people have to matter to us. And that's what's driving this whole passage, chapter 9, going into chapter 10. John lays his gospel out for us in a very, well, it's actually a little complicated. Uh, I started preaching through this a while back, and I had to get off of the way I normally approach a passage, because normally I start in chapter 1 and just preach through the whole book. But John crafts the layout of his gospel in such a way for us that he makes a consistent move towards his ultimate point. John chapter 20, he says this, I write these things so that you may be sure that you have eternal life. And in a church, our tendency is to say, be sure that you have eternal life. Okay, I need to make sure that I'm, let's see, how would we say this, that my fire insurance policy is up to date. I want to make sure that I have my eternity, that's temporal now, temporal, Uh, time-oriented, I have my eternity locked up, fire insurance, get out of hell, that thing. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus means more than just that. Eternal life is not just a duration, it is also a quality. And you see what I was missing in those early part of my ministry days when I was kind of fed up with the church was I somewhere lost the quality part of eternal life. And God slammed me with this verse. I have come that you may have life abundantly. I had the eternal part locked up. What I didn't have was it matters today. Churches are full of people that don't get the quality part of the life that Jesus offers. So, we come to this passage, and John crafts his gospel by giving these seven different signs. They're miracles. And he calls them signs as a way of saying, I'm moving you to understand who this guy Jesus really is. By the time we get all through that, we see that Jesus has done these seven things, actually I would say eight when you throw the resurrection in there, that no man can do. And either he is who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, or he's a fraud, but no fraud could pull off what he did once, much less seven times. And John lays it out systematically 
These miracles that Jesus did that became evidence to people around him of who he really was. Chapter 9, verse 1 is the fourth of those signs. He heals a man who is blind. You done that lately? Well, my optometrist thinks he does that every time I put my contacts on, but I'm not healed with that. That's just dealing with the condition. Jesus heals a guy born blind, and here's the deal. I'm going to use this term loosely this morning. The church crowd of chapter 9, that's the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they're torqued over this. Jesus comes in, and he meets this guy who is hopeless in his ability or inability to see, and Jesus steps into that mix. By the way, aren't you glad Jesus steps into the mix for you? He steps in, and he heals the guy. Now, he does it. In an unorthodox way, makes mud. You can go back and read it. You're not sure you want that on your eyes, but that's what he does. He heals him. You know what torques the religious crowd, the church crowd? Well, he did it on the Sabbath. And making mud, well, that's against our tradition. And it torques them. I mean, it torques them so badly that we have this escapade that happens. The Bible's full of humor if you know where to look. Chapter 9 is a good place to look. This religious crowd, they're so upset over what's happened that they start this process and they start interviewing people. Just like church leaders, right? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of this. So they start interviewing people. And they start gathering data. They don't like the data that they gather. Okay, that's bad research, just for the record. You don't get to pick and choose. You just take the data that comes. They get the data saying, I don't like that. Let's talk to him again. Finally, the kid's mother, the guy's mother says, you ask him. He's an adult. You ask him. Stop bothering us because they're afraid of the religious crowd. Church hadn't changed that much in the centuries, really. And so we come into this passage, chapter 9, and it's this ongoing thing tied to the healing that the religious leaders don't like because it violated their tradition. Let me tell you something. Churches, hear me very carefully what I'm about to say. Churches are not full of millions, well, let's say thousands to be safe. Churches today are not full of thousands of people because they've been torched by church people. Let me say that the way you probably expect to hear it. There are thousands of people who refused to go to church because the religious church crowd has torched them. People matter to God. I hate to say it, that was a revelation to me in the fall of 91. Oh, I'd been trained to do the church thing, but I hadn't been trained to love people. And so in chapter 9, we have this ongoing discussion, Jesus, these religious leaders, and it takes us into chapter 10. But let me show you just how long-standing this problem is. Spencer's got for us Ezekiel chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. Scholars tell us that John now, Jesus actually, pulls from this picture in the Old Testament as Ezekiel, the prophet of God, gives the word of God, and and it's tied to this shepherd idea that we're going to be talking about in a second. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's the religious leadership. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. 
Should not shepherds, shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. Is that not something of a picture of American Christianity? Where the church of God has said essentially, we're going to take care of ourselves. And we have our rules and regulations. And if you come in here, we expect you to meet those. I'm not, I'm not going there today necessarily. What I'm trying to do is to say there is this ongoing tendency, historically speaking, for God's organized people to miss it when it comes to people. Jeremiah 23, verse 2 verses say this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. That is an incredibly ominous statement. When God says, okay, you haven't done what you needed to, so I'm going to do what I need to related to you. And so with that background, thank you, Spencer, we go to chapter 10, verse 1, and it says this. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Did you get that? Stop for a second. Did you get that? The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out, excuse me, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Okay, now let's come back to me for a second. Let me just, oh man, it's, it's an interesting process for me. Learning people's names. Y'all know my name? Somebody tell me, would you? Because I've forgotten in all of the process that I've had to do. And that came home for me yesterday. Okay, now Maurice Elkins, uh, some of the Sunday school class, invited us to go with them yesterday to the, or yesterday afternoon, last night, to the Astros game. And uh, y'all know who the Astros are, right? I, I said that and somebody said, no, 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 that's the Lastros. I said, no, it's Astro. No, it's the Disastros. And then I started figuring out where they were going with all of that. Uh, but after the Astros game this night, was, it was Faith and Family Night, and we got to see the David Crowder Band in concert. And I was literally amazed at the depth of the lyrics of their songs. Uh, and a great experience. But as we got to where we were meeting, uh, and people started getting out of vehicles, and I started 
saying, okay, now I'm going to, you know, now it's, it's name recognition 101. So I started dealing with people and I was trying to put names together. By the way, too many of you are named Shannon, too many of you are named Matt. So some of you would, would please change your name so that I can keep you straight. It would be helpful. Um, so I started dealing with this and I was doing it, you know, and going through it and trying to, you know, those mental things you do to really concentrate so that I can get the name. Because I'm embarrassed when I have to ask you for the 10th time, have we met? Uh, what's your name again? Um, so... We got out of that into the car, and as we're driving down, I started rehearsing that with Maurice, and he's talking to me, and I'm saying, okay, that's so-and-so. No, that's so-and-so. Okay, gotcha. And that's so-and-so. Well, you know, and, and fitting people together and all and, I, and it dawned on me. It must be incredibly entertaining for y'all to watch me try to figure out people's names. Now, when you start switching names on me, then, I'm gonna, then, then we're going to play for sure. Did you catch the verse? To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. I may forget your name. I probably will forget your name. Aren't you glad God knows your name? (laughs) You know, when we were in Israel, I was talking to our guide. And he was talking to us about the sheep thing and the shepherd thing. And he said, these sheep spend so much time with their shepherds that the shepherds begin to identify the sheep by their personality or by their, the way they look. And so here's a sheep that's kind of spotted, so the shepherd calls him Spot. And here's another sheep who's obstinate and hard-headed, and so they call him Mark. Um, or you fill in the name there. The point is that these shepherds spend so much time with their sheep. Now, I have to tell you, I see a sheep, I mean a flock of sheep, that's, that's a gaggle of sheep. I see a bunch of sheep together, and I see a bunch of sheep. But a shepherd sees his flock, and he sees individuals. And he knows them, and he knows their characteristics, and he calls them by name. And aren't you glad that that's the picture that Jesus gives us of himself with his sheep, with us? I missed that in early church. Not, not today's early church. I've got to watch my language now. Earlier as an adult, I missed that in church because it wasn't about people. It was about organization. And it dawned on me as God took me to this passage the organization people of Jesus' day so hated the people focus that he had, they put him on a cross over that. And I've known people through the years in churches all across the state of Texas who got hung on crosses because they didn't make the religious crowd happy. So there's your standard. Jesus comes in in chapter 10, building off of chapter 9, and and that religious crowd gets so torqued over something that didn't go the way they thought it ought to go, and Jesus comes in after that, and he draws this contrast, and he says, that's them, but this is me. And John lays it out for us that we, by the time we get to the end of John's gospel, there is no other conclusion that we could come to but that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And people matter him and so chapter 10 
We pick up reading in verse 7. And it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Let me One other thing about sheep and shepherds over in the land of Israel. One scholar talked about coming together and and at night, these sheep from all over the countryside, different flocks of sheep with different shepherds would come and they would have a common pen. In other words, they would all stay in the same area and they'd get in, they'd lock the door behind them and the shepherds would go and do their thing, but the sheep were safe in that pen. And in the morning, as they got up, get in there, by, well, what do you think happens with all these sheep? Same thing that happens with elementary school kids when school starts. They just kind of mix and it's like, whoa, that's an ugly picture. How do you get them separated? The scholar says that he watched one day as those shepherds came out in the morning, that pen full of sheep from four different flocks, four different shepherds came out, and they stood outside at different points outside the gate, and they just started calling their sheep. And as those sheep came out of the gate, they each went to the voice of their shepherd. And they separated themselves because they followed the call of their shepherd. You see, not only does the shepherd know the sheep, the sheep know the shepherd. You find a church where that's not true, and you're going to find people hanging on crosses in the yard. This church thing can be a very ugly business. Or it can be heaven on earth because God is there. People matter to God. So we continue reading verse 9. I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, notice what it says, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. What he's saying, Jesus is saying here is, I'm the shepherd. And when I'm the number one part of the flock, then there's security and there's safety. Sheep are happy. It's good to have happy sheep. You don't want an unhappy sheep. Verse 10, now we come to it. The thief, this now represents Satan and all of his devices. The thief comes to steal. Well, it says actually the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come why? That they may have life. And many of us in church put a period right there. And we train ourselves to be disgusted with church. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have you thought about what that means, abundantly? I think Satan, the thief, sells us on this thievery in a number of different ways. One of the most insidious kinds of thefts that occurs in a church is what I call settling for mechanical Christianity. It is that approach to Christianity that says, here's a body of information, I'll sign off on that. I'll even fight and defend it as a body of information. But I learned it as a kid and I'll set it over there, and I'll be a caretaker. 
That's the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And that's all through churches. And Christian people in this day and age are settling for a thievery that Satan perpetrates himself that says, just be mechanical about Christianity. Reduce it to a set of do's and don'ts and you'll be fine. But that's not the kind that Jesus came to offer. Another one, we, we settle for what I call flavor of the day Christianity. You, know, you understand flavor of the day? Go into an ice cream shop and they have all these different kinds, but here's the favorite flavor of the day. This is the one we're trying to sell. This is the one that you're going to like the most. And so we go to it and tomorrow's a different flavor. I've been in church work long enough to know that there is this constant stream of emphases that come out. I call it the merchandising of Christianity. And you can go to any Christian bookstore or look on any Christian website and you can find the flavor of the day and buy into it, but it'll be different next month because you'll need to buy a new book unless you're using the book. Satan is really good at what he does. And if he can't get you to do the wrong thing, he'll get you to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And there's death in that. And Jesus said, I came. Okay, now here's what you're going to hear me say for a long time. (laughs) Unless after hearing this you say, I'm done. Uh, Jesus said, I came that you may have life that will blow your mind. Is that the Christianity you currently carry? You know one of the most threatening ways for me to ask you that question Pick the one person in your life that you love the most. Do you really want them to have the kind of Christianity you carry? Is it alive? Let me challenge you this week. Go to the Gospel of Mark. should be easy to remember. Go to the Gospel of Mark and read through with special attention to the people there and how they respond to Jesus. Let me tell you something. He blew their socks off. They pressed on him. They followed him. They would walk great distances. They'd get in boats and go across the lake so they could be where he was. Read that and ask yourself, is that the church of the 21st century in America? Do we have people who can't get enough of the church so that we just have to keep blowing the doors open and blowing the walls wider because we can't handle all the people who are coming to hear what Jesus is doing? Or have we settled for a safe, comfortable, mechanical Christianity that has no life? I told you when we started, you're probably not going to like this sermon too much because it is intended to put a piece of dynamite under your chair and blow you out of comfortable Christianity because Jesus came and died for much more than comfortable Christianity. And outside the walls of this church is a community full of people who need life. That means they need us to get it right. Let's pray. So, Father, we come thoroughly uncomfortable with what you're telling us. And yet we believe that it is your message of the day. Help us. Please help us to taste this salvation that you offer. Not a gimmick, not a flavor of the day, but the truth 
of the life that you offer, where we are known by you, and we hear your voice, and we respond. We thank you so much for making that possible. Please forgive us for trivializing and cheapening that. Father, even now, I ask that you would be at work in the hearts of your people. Challenge, convict, comfort, and mobilize is our prayer.